This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by the new novel Ninth City Burning by J. Patrick Black. Booklist writes, Fans of Ender, Harry Potter, Starship Troopers, and manga-style armored mobile suits will find Black's debut the perfect ticket to a fantastic new world. Learn more at jpatrickblack.com. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 259 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the world of live-action role-playing games, also known as LARPs. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Stephanie Grossman. She's a writer and marketing professional who's worked for several publishing houses, including Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster, and she currently works at JSTOR, the digital scholarly research library. Her writing appears in magazines such as Fiction 365 and Boast, and her article, Why I Spent My Summer Vacation Dressed Like Hermione Granger, about attending her first LARP, is out now in Paste Magazine. So, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Then next up, we've got Lizzie Stark. Her nonfiction appears in publications such as The Washington Post, The Philadelphia Inquirer, The Daily Beast, and io9, and she's also the author of two nonfiction books, Pandora's DNA, about the history and science of so-called breast cancer genes, and Leaving Mundania, about the wonderful world of LARPing. She's also been involved with creating and running LARPs all over the world. So, Lizzie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And also joining us today is Ben Books Schwartz. They hold an MFA in writing for children and young adults from Simmons College and have been writing and running LARPs for over a decade. After learning their craft at the Wayfinder Experience, they spent four years as the Artisan Guild Coordinator for Trackers Earth, a LARP summer camp for kids and teens. Recently, Books helped run the LARP that Stephanie attended, New World Magiscola, and a crowdfunding campaign for Books' new science fiction LARP, Event Horizon, raised over $50,000 on Kickstarter. So, Books, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. And today's show is brought to you by the novel Ninth City Burning by J. Patrick Black. And here's a description of the book. It says, Cities vanished, gone in flashes of world-shattering destruction. An alien race had come to make Earth theirs, bringing a power so far beyond human technology it seemed like magic. It was nearly the end of the world, until we learned to seize the power and use it to fight back. The war has raged for five centuries. For a cadet like Jax, one of the few who can harness the enemy's universe-altering force, that means growing up in an elite military academy, training for battle at the front, and hoping he is ready. For Naomi, a young nomad roaming the wilds of a ruined earth, it means a daily fight for survival against the savage raiders who threaten her caravan. When a new attack looms, these two young warriors find their paths suddenly intertwined. Together with a gifted but reckless military commander, a factory worker drafted as cannon fodder, a wild and beautiful gunfighter, and a brilliant scientist with nothing to lose, they must find a way to turn back the coming invasion, or see their home finally and completely destroyed. Publishers Weekly writes, Black is a fresh new voice who pays respect to the classics of SF in this enjoyable adventure debut, and number one New York Times bestseller Patricia Briggs calls Night City Burning fresh and unputdownable, an intriguing cocktail of science fiction, fantasy, and military adventure stirred into something new and satisfying. So again, the book is called Night City Burning by J. Patrick Black, and you can learn more over at jpatrickblack.com. All right, so now let's get to our panel. Okay, so Books, why don't we start with you and have you just tell us a bit about how you first discovered LARPing. So I first discovered LARPing as a teenager. Uh, I was in high school and my best friend, Kai, had just moved from New York where he had been going to this LARP summer camp, Wayfinder, 
And I heard about it from him and thought, this sounds amazing. I have to go immediately. And uh, even though I lived in California, I convinced my parents, which was an uphill battle, uh, to let me go to this LARP summer camp. I had been all my life. I'd been playing make-believe. I'd played Dungeons and Dragons. But LARPing was exactly what I needed. It was sort of a perfect crystallization of everything I wanted to be doing with my time. And I found it went off to the summer camp, fell in love immediately with the community and with the experience of LARPing, came back to California, and Kai and I said, we can't go to New York all the time to do this. We have to keep doing this. So we got together our friends and started running LARPs for our friends and our high school classmates just at home in California. And I've been LARPing pretty much nonstop ever since. And this was sort of a business for you, right? You were charging uh, admissions fees and stuff? Yes, absolutely. This is how we... Uh, this is what we did on weekends in high school. Is we didn't charge much. We charged $20 for a day-long game. And uh, on weekends, when we weren't doing a full game, we played Capture the Flag with Swords, which we charged just a dollar for. And it was totally unofficial. We didn't have a bank account or anything like that. The money went into our pockets, and then the costuming budget came right back out of our pockets. But it was enough that it kept it going. And that group that we started uh, is actually still going today, 13 years later, uh, under different management, of course, we passed it on to after we graduated high school, we passed it on to then current high schoolers and then passed it down to the next generation and so on and so forth. Uh, and yeah, they're still around, still running LARPs up in uh, Tilden Park in Berkeley. And and you're still I mean, this is your full time job, right? That you just organizing LARPs and running LARPs? These days, yes, I am actually, uh, I am a free, t a, a full-time freelance LARP writer. I am, have contracts with a couple different LARP organizations as well as running my own stuff and at these various summer camps. And for pretty much the last year, I've been doing it full-time, just running LARPs in various places and helping people with their own LARPs. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. It's, you know, it's a freelancer hustle, but I love it. Yeah, that's really amazing that you're able to do that. I mean, could you you said that w when you discovered LARPs that they were everything you ever wanted or something like that. Could you say a little bit more about why they resonated with you so much? Boy, I can try. Uh, why did they resonate so much with me? I think a lot of it was had to do with uh, play and identity exploration, that I have never been satisfied with just one version of myself. Uh, from a very young age, I was very conscious of what I would later understand through, you know, the works of Irving Goffman, uh, the ideas that whenever, that identity as performance, that whenever we are talking to someone, we are performing. And in different situations, different social contexts, we put on different versions of ourselves. And, uh, from the time I was young, I found that really interesting. And I found that really fun of putting on different versions of myself, of exploring that. And then combine that with an early love of uh, adventure fiction and world building. My earliest memories of, are of playing Mist on my dad's lap when I was three years old. Uh, and build, building worlds and bringing people I cared about, bringing my friends into these other worlds. LARPing was such a crystallization of all of that. I could play and play at different identities, try on totally different personalities, different selves, see what worked, see what didn't, do things that I would never do in my ordinary life, and then also build worlds and bring people into them. And people would buy into my fantasies, and people would bring my fantasies to life. So it definitely played on, you know, some teenage arrogance and egomania hmm. of getting to just be a god and build entire worlds for people to 
use as a playground. But I also think a lot of it was very uh, emotionally cathartic and very powerful for me, especially as an adolescent, uh, trying on identities and trying on different versions of myself. A lot of it was in parallel with figuring out my identities as, uh, as being non-binary and my queer identities. And a lot of that played very heavily into figuring out who I was while I was LARPing and figuring out who I could be, what, what my potential was through characters I was playing. I don't think I would have been able to articulate most of that at the time. <laughs> when I was 14, it was just, oh my god, this is so cool. There are foam swords and costumes, and I'm saving the world. This is the best. But looking back on it, that's what I would say was going on. Yeah, that's just so cool. And I think you did a really good job of articulating it there. So uh, no worries there. Um, but so how about Lizzie? Let's get you in here. How did you first discover LARPing? Well, I, um, I basically discovered LARPing through, um, through writing Leaving Mundania. <laughs> Uh, I was in grad school and I really wanted to get into this book class. Um, I was in grad school for journalism and I really wanted to get into this book class. And I had heard about LARPing from um, a, a close friend of mine. She had had a succession of Craigslist roommates who were LARPers. And um, and she had written a short story about it. And that's, that's kind of how we all found out that LARP existed. So I was shopping around for a topic. Um, a book topic to get into this book class and, uh, and I pitched LARPing and I got in. <laughs> and, uh, I guess the rest is kind of history. I spent, um, a number of years, uh, immersing in the world of LARP. Um, I played a buffer campaign down in Massachusetts or down in uh, New Jersey for about 18 months. Um, I attended conventions. I tried out uh, short form LARPs. And I also went to the Nordic countries to investigate their, um, their artsy fartsy LARP tradition. <laughs> well, so for people who don't know, why don't you just explain what a boffer LARP is? Sure. A boffer LARP is a LARP that uses boffers as a uh, combat resolution mechanic. And a boffer is a foam padded weapon. Um, basically, it's a contact safe weapon. So the older, like the trad boffer, um, is kite rod covered with maybe pipe insulation foam covered with duct tape and shaped to look like, uh, you know, like a staff or a sword or a shield. Um, today there are modern boffer weapons that are made of, um, cast foam latex that look much more realistic, but you'll see a mix in, 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 um, in most games. So, uh, campaign buffer LARP, uh, you can think of LARPs as being like movies or TV shows. Um, so a one shot LARP is like a movie. It lasts a discrete period of time and then it's over. Uh, a campaign LARP is more like a TV show where there are installments every month. Um, so, you know, uh, for the campaign buffer LARP I took part in, it, um, it, it took place once a month and um, each month, the story would continue over the course of a weekend. Right, and so this this buffer LARP is called Night Realms, right? And it's sort of like it's sort of like Dungeons and Dragons, except you act out your character out in the woods, right? Yeah, it's got kind of a Middle Earth vibe. It's a medieval fantasy setting, um, and it's been running. I think now it must have been running for about fifteen years, or or maybe even more. 
Um, and some people have been playing the same character for all that time. I thought it was really, I, I listened to an interview with you and you said that in this class that you were in, that it was something like one out of three students got a book contract out of the class. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good class. <laughs> it's a really intense class. It meets for, you know, eight hours on a Monday and, um, every week you read a book and the author of the book comes to class to talk to you. So like you really extra have to read it. Um, and you write like a thousand words every week and, uh, there, you know, you workshop each other's stuff. Um, it's the, it's Sam Friedman's <laughs> book class at, at the Columbia Journalism School. Um, and, uh, it was an incredible experience to take that class. Yeah. Sounds really, really cool. And so then how long did it take you to write Leaving Mundania? Well, I graduated in 2008 with a, a book proposal that was more or less ready to send out to agents. And the book was published in 2012. Um, but I think the book took a bit longer to be published because I graduated into the financial collapse. Um, yeah, but I was researching that whole time. I was um, working part-time for the Daily Beast and just spending every moment um, with my local LARPers. There was a group of five or six of them that I shadowed quite a lot. Like There was one week where I would go to their houses, or, uh, like where I would go to their house, they all kind of lived together, and I'd watch them play tabletop games. And, you know, they were young. They were, they were young people. They were in their early, late teens, early 20s. I think most of them were in their early 20s at this point. And so they wouldn't start playing until like 10 at night or something like this. There was one week when I was like going all in on this immersion reporting. And then I was working the 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift for the, for the Daily Beast. So I would like be at their house until two or three, go home, sleep for two hours, wake up, work, work for five hours. Uh, and then, then, then go back to sleep. Um, sounds exhausting. Yeah, it was really, it was really intense, um, period of time. I, I had trouble at, when I was on the camp, when I was, um, reporting from the Buffer campaign as well, because a lot of the action, uh, basically, I think fantasy LARPing is better at night. Like the darkness adds something cool to the atmosphere. So a I lot of the best agree. action takes place, you know, in the 11 PM to like three or 4 AM time zone. <laughs> Uh, time period, and that was really challenging because I was on this 5.30 wake-up schedule. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, it was worth it, though, because it is a really, really interesting book. Stephanie and I both read it uh, in preparation for this panel. And uh, let's get Stephanie in here. So, Stephanie, tell us about how did you first discover LARPing? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I'd say I discovered LARPing a bit late in life. Um, it was only really, like, two years, or really last year that I um, discovered it. Although I, I had heard of it, I'd heard like random whisperings of it throughout my childhood and growing up, um, you know, and in high school. And I had some friends who were into D&D, but nobody really talked about it. Um, and then one day I was at a writing group and this girl, Maggie, I, I started talking to her and then she just confessed to me. She said, 
you know, sometimes I LARP and um, she said it in this way that like she was expecting me to just give her some sort of negative reaction. And t- at the time, like at the time, I actually didn't even really know what LARPing was, although, like I said, I'd heard some whisperings of it. So then um, I asked her what it was and she's like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's basically like, you know, a large scale cosplay with mixed with acting and make believe and, um, you know, storytelling. And so um, at the time I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, but I didn't really think of, think much more about it. Um, but then uh, a few months later, my brother, who who's really not like he's like the like the opposite of a geek, I think. Um, he knows that I love Harry Potter. And so he actually posted a meme on my Facebook wall saying, um, you know, it was a, it was a meme about um, College of Wizardry in Poland. And it basically said, um, you know, come to a castle in Poland where you'll, you know, you can take classes and, um, you know, fight magical creatures and things like that. And you go on this Harry Potter adventure. And that just really jumped out at me and I, and I was, and I thought, oh, this sounds amazing. And so then I started just stalking that website and became completely obsessed and was thinking, oh, maybe I'll go to Poland. And I was like, maybe I'll just go even by myself. Like, I don't know. I'll just go. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I had, I, books, you probably remember this. In the meantime, I had met books and then, um, so I knew that books was in the LARP community. And so then I messaged books and said, do you know of anything like this, like this Harry Potter thing in, do you know of anything in the U.S.? And Book said, well, actually, there's one starting this summer called New World Magiscola. And so, you know, you should check it out. And so then I did and I got really obsessed. Um, and I, I guess I have to go back and say that when I was younger, um, even though I didn't know what LARPing was, I was doing sort of a version of it with Harry Potter specifically because I was really, I loved that series and I used to, you know, I used to, during the summers, join online Hogwarts uh, websites, um, all different ones. Um, so I'd start taking classes and start, you know, uh, making friends online and doing role playing, but not live action role playing. Um, and then, uh, but then school would start and then I'd not stick with it. And then, uh, but really my role playing days, I loved I loved that experience. And so it was the combination of remembering that and being older and being like, I'm an adult. I can actually, I can actually do this. Like nobody, like my parents can't tell me no, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know, it's other adults doing this. And so that's when I decided to, to go and see what it was like. Well, it sounds like you picked a good one to start with because this New World to Magic School, it sounds like was a big deal. It had a $300,000 Kickstarter to, to fund it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think from what I know, it's, yeah, it was one of the biggest U.S. or one of the biggest American LARPs that occurred in the last few years. But I don't, I I mean, I think Books and Lizzie could probably speak to that a little bit more. But yeah, it was, it was, from what I know also, it was, there were a lot of people there who were not LARPers or who, who were doing it for the first time, partly because it was the combination of it being really large scale and, um, you know, being able for them to be able to put together such a big production and that coupled with it being Harry Potter, there were a lot of people who um, were like me and who just really wanted to experience this magical life. And, you know, the Kickstarter made that possible. 
Well, yeah, so book, so why don't you jump in here? So you were involved with this, right? Is there anything more you want to say about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was, last year at Magiscola, uh, I was just a player. Uh, I wasn't yet help running, helping to run it. Now I'm involved as one of the organizers for this summer's runs and for the new Magiscola prep summer camp for kids and teens in Pennsylvania. Uh, and yeah, it's really interesting to see how things like College of Wizardry and Magiscola, uh, are bringing in a lot of people who are non-LARPers. Uh, and historically and traditionally, a lot of LARPing has been bringing in, of course, LARPing brings in a lot of non-LARPers, uh, as I was brought in, as Lizzie was brought in, uh, as Stephanie was brought in. Everyone has to start somewhere, obviously, but a lot of LARPing traditionally markets to other LARPers and tries to bring in, you know, experienced LARPers, people who are familiar with boffers, or at least are D&D players, maybe. But a lot of Magiscola and College of Wizardry, whether or not it was intentional, has wound up bringing in tons and tons of people who have never LARPed before, but love wizard school and love the idea of wizard school and want to step into this world. And being involved in running it, that uh, there's a lot of awareness behind the scenes of that and a lot of focus on making it as accessible as possible to newcomers, uh, which is something that some LARPs struggle with. Uh, and uh, we have focused a lot on having really easy to easily accessible introductory workshops, making sure people are starting out on the same page, uh, having people available to help create play and guide play to have people work together. And of course, it's not perfect. It doesn't always work, but there's a heavy emphasis on being as welcoming to newcomers as possible. Uh, and I think part of that helps that it is heavily one-shot based as opposed to campaign based, which means that there's not, you're not jumping in in the middle of a story. Uh, and you're not having to worry about, you know, more powerful players or anything like that. Everyone is starting out on even footing. And I think that makes it very attractive as a first LARP compared to potentially other LARPs. Um, Lizzie, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I did want to jump in and just talk a little bit about, um, making LARP uh, accessible to people who haven't tried it before, because I think there's been a um, a real movement, a real concerted movement over the last five years um, to do that. Uh, one of the things that I think uh, has helped New World Magic Scola um, bring, bring more players into the fold is, of course, um, trading on the popularity of an established property right? Um, which is a really clever uh, tactic and technique. Um, they're also adopting some methods and techniques that were pioneered by uh, Nordic LARPers, namely the technique of workshopping people together um, right before the game. Workshops are planned sets of activities where players can get to know each other before the game. They can build established relationships. They can build um, opportunities for play. You can talk out uh, plot points that might be interesting, for example. And I think um, that part of the model wasn't really present. Uh, I always get in trouble for saying things like this, but it wasn't really present in, to my knowledge, in the U.S. scene um, before this kind of mixing of cultures uh, started taking place. And I think that makes a big difference in accessibility um, of new people. You know, campaign LARPs will have their new player workshops, but it's usually just with the new players and it's aimed toward teaching the rules rather than, um, 
rather than creating group cohesion and, um, and getting people to think on kind of a story level. There have also been other approaches to developing uh, LARPs that are really accessible to new people, right? Um, new World Madrascola is like the, uh, the luxury cruise experience in some way, right? You're going to a destination, uh, with a beautiful, um, with a beautiful set and you're spending a weekend and you're probably investing in having a cool costume and you're a part of the pleasures anticipating with your co-players beforehand. Um, another way to get newcomers involved is to make the, uh, the demands really small. So like two hours or even um, one hour or even just 30 minutes. And instead of uh, doing it in a lavish setting or a, a really like awesome and inspiring setting, you do it in um, a nondescript setting like a classroom. Um, and instead of having awesome uh, period accurate props, you just make do with like coffee cups and pens that can stand in for anything. And uh, one of the leaders in this field, I would say, are the Golden Cobra games. Um, the very first Golden Cobra competition was specifically geared to get, uh, to create LARPs that would be easily playable um, for kind of random collections of people on the fly. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned, I want to talk a little bit about New Magiscola and the fact that this is not a buffer campaign, because Stephanie, you were there all weekends and you did not hit anyone with a boffer. Is that correct? No, I might've hit people with my wand, but. <laughs> so talk a little bit more about this, this Nordic LARP thing and how that differed from if you had gone to a LARP where you would be boffering people. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the, one of the things that appealed to me was that, um, that this took a really, you know, character driven, um, style, which I found was very interesting to me as, especially as a new LARPer, um, because I wasn't necessarily interested in battle, but I was interested in playing a character and having that character make friends and go to classes and, um, just exploring that world. And, um, it appealed to me in a sense, it actually sort of made me think of, um, like art house movies or literary novels in a sense where, you know, f for, with my English major background, um, you know, you want to have a character arc, you want to have a character change, you want to have different things like that happen. And so the fact that it's the fact that when I looked into New World Magiscola and when I learned about what Nordic LARPs are and how they are really character based and how the main point is to grow, not only as a character, but also as a person, um, you know, that made me think like, oh, this is one of, you know, in a sense, this is um, a piece of literature that I'm being involved in rather than, you know, a plot driven, um, you know, thriller, which also can be really, really fun. But I was interested in the growth as well. Well, but so this LARP did have you were fighting wyverns and engaging in magic duels and stuff. So how does that work? Um, so the way that worked, it was um, WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. So uh, basically you could say a spell um, you, you could come, I didn't always come up with, sometimes I just blanked and <laughs> couldn't, um, come up with anything, but, uh, basically you, uh, you know, you were using your wand, um, you would say a certain spell, um, say at a magical creature, or if you were dueling in a class or something, um, and either the incantation would have to, would have to be, 
um, something that would indicate to the other player th- what you were doing, or you could say, you know, um, sectum sempra, you know, or, and <laughs> we weren't allowed to say that though, but, uh, <laughs> cause we weren't allowed to Cause really, of copyright. cause of copyright rules. Um, but you could say that, and then you could say, you know, I'm going to cut you apart or this cuts you apart. And then the other character, whether that was a wyvern or another student, um, they could decide whether their character got cut or whether they, um, or whether they ended up, uh, deflecting it and then moving on or, you know, getting, you know, doing something to block it. Um, so it really had to do with consent, essentially, that nothing could happen to your character unless you wanted it to happen. Um, and so in, in a sense, that was the way that the dueling kind of worked is that you, you didn't get hit with anything and you could decide whether your character got hurt or not. Right. I mean, books, is there anything you want to add here about just for people who who have not experienced something like New World Magical, uh, anything else that you think we we should explain so that people have a clear image of kind of what happens at something like this? So I think one of the things that uh, that Stephanie touched on and that Lizzie made reference to earlier is that uh, a lot of this has to do with stylistic differences that they are all, yeah, as, as Stephanie was saying, some things are more like a thriller, some things are more uh, emotional driven. And one of the things about a lot of LARPing, but especially the way Magiscola designed is that it can be all of those things, depending on what you want out of it. It is designed very heavily as sort of a sandbox game. There is not much overarching plot. There's the structure of classes, but a lot of it is really on players to come up with their own plot and figure out what they want out of it. If you want a, you know, low key, just go to class and do your homework game, you can have that. If you want an epic, you know, fighting dark wizards and saving the world and summoning demons game, you can have that. If you want a romantic comedy with lots of shenanigans and pranks, you can have that too. And all of those things exist in parallel. Uh, and I think that's true of a lot of LARPs, and you will see that. And that's one of the things that I love about LARPing is that different people get very different experiences out of the same game, uh, often at the same time, and it can coexist. Uh, but Magiscola and College of Wizardry and games like it really emphasize that and are structured around making that as uh, accessible as possible. Uh, and that's really exciting and a lot of fun and results in really unexpected and surprising things a lot of the time. Because even as organizers, we don't know what our players are going to bring. We don't know what cool plots our players are going to create. Uh, and that's a lot of fun to just see what happens. Now, it's something like Magic School. Are people in character 24-7, or are you? Are there periods where you're out of character? So we start with workshopping, uh, as Lizzie was saying, which in the case of Magic School uh, came heavily from the European traditions. But of course, I always forget that it's not commonplace because I grew up learning to LARP at summer camps. And at summer camps, you spend multiple days of workshopping before you start LARPing. Uh, but so you have the workshops are all out of character. And then from then on, things are mostly in character for most of the weekend. Some people go to their dorms in character and sleep in character. Some people prefer to have their dorms be an out-of-character space. Uh, there's always an out-of-character space where people can go to uh, to sort of decompress and eat some chocolate and chill out. Uh, and a lot of times people break character for a minute to negotiate a scene. One of the things we really emphasize, Stephanie mentioned consent. We really emphasize, uh, and this is fairly common of a lot of these play styles, especially coming from, uh, and a lot of this was pioneered by people like Sarah Lynn Bowman, 
uh, developing LARP safety techniques and consent techniques and really codifying how that worked is pausing your characters for a moment to negotiate as yourselves how you want a scene to go to make sure that everyone is comfortable with where the scene is going, whether it's an intimate scene or a violent scene or a psychologically intense scene. You want to make sure everyone's comfortable and you want to make sure that everyone knows what they're getting into and wants the same things and is on the same level. And you can calibrate to each other's expectations. And that you want to do out of character. And so you step away from the main game, maybe find a quiet corner and drop character just for a few minutes to talk through how you want the plot to go and how you want the scene to go. But other than that, for the most part, people are in character most of the weekend. Uh, and that's not something that is, you know, some LARPs have all in character all the time. Some LARPs are more structured where you're in character in the afternoon and you do workshopping in the morning. Uh, Lizzie, I believe Fortune and Felicity had chapter breaks. Is that right? It did. Yeah, we um, uh, we skipped through time. So it had different acts and you would workshop in between the acts. So, yeah, different LARPs do it differently. But Magiscola is mostly once the game starts, you are in, on Thursday afternoon. You are in character all of Thursday evening, Friday day, Saturday day until the end of the game on Saturday night. As a first timer, though, uh we, I found that a lot of people were getting out of character maybe a bit more than people wanted us to. Um, you know, and so at New World Magiscola, they had this, uh, you know, this sign where you would just make a fist on your forehead and that would be the sign that you were out of game. Um, and so I found that my friends and I were doing that a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, we definitely were in character for a lot of the time, but we also had lots of little moments where we were getting someone's consent or saying, you know, or say if my character was, um, you know, crying about something and then I could put my, you know, I ju could just go out of game really quickly and say, just so you know, I'm fine. And then like go back into that so that people wouldn't, uh, so that people would know what was going on. Right. Well, I want to get Lizzie in here because, Lizzie, there are two terms that you use in your book that are kind of relevant here. You talk about bleed and you talk about playing to lose. Could you talk about those concepts? Sure. Um, bleed is a term coined by Emily Kerr Boss um, at the Finnish convention Robicon in, I think it was 2009. Um, and Emily Kerr Boss is an awesome uh, designer of, of LARPs and Freeform, and she really knows her stuff. Um, bleed is what happens when character and player emotions get mixed up. So bleed in is when your emotions as a player um, affect your emotions as a character. So for example, if you have a terrible day and you show up to the LARP exhausted and your sweet-tempered character snaps at somebody else, that would be bleed in. And bleed out is when uh, the emotions of your character affect your own emotions. So if you have a really um, tense, uh, argumentative scene with another character, and then when you see the player out of game, you feel kind of hostile toward them. Um, bleed can happen, I think it can happen with any kind of game. Um, so as somebody once described it to me, uh, if you're playing Monopoly and you get so mad at your dad that you flip the table, that's also there. bleed. Yeah, we've all been there. Monopoly is a terribly designed game, but, 
so that's bleed. What was the other one you asked about? Then playing to lose. Oh, playing to lose. So playing to lose says that losing is more interesting, can be more interesting and more fun to play than succeeding, right? A superhuman um, character that is good at everything is actually rather boring to play. Um, it's quite, it can be quite interesting and fulfilling to see what happens uh, when you try to fail and you can get, um, you can get an interesting set of emotions, uh, and an interesting plot line out of it. I think maybe I could also talk about transparency, um, because this is one of the play aesthetics that games like New World Magiscola rely on. And this is, uh, an aesthetic that says that when everybody knows what's going on out of game, you can make better play in game. So that is what um, that consent negotiation is about in part, right? Um, or even if I were to say, uh, hey, Stephanie, my character is really insecure about her inability to have children. Um, if I tell you that out of game, then in game, you can be constantly pushing my character by talking about um, your children and how much you love them. Um, and not, not everybody likes transparency. I happen to love transparency because I think it helps um, it helps foster that character growth. Um, but a lot of people, when they play LARPs, they want the experience of being surprised. And they're LARPing to see what, ha more to see what happens and less to, um, uh, less to kind of push their characters emotionally. Um, and it's just a different style of game. Well, I mean, Stephanie, in your essay, you, you talk about bleed toward the end. You have some really striking sections where you talk about that. Could you just talk about what it was like for you getting your own feelings and your character's feelings all sort of mixed up together as the LARP was uh, coming to a close and then afterward? Yeah. Um, well, I, do you want me to talk about the debriefing, se debriefing yeah, sessions yeah. too? Okay. Uh, yeah. So this was like a really interesting experience that I didn't at all expect to have. So first of all, um, at the end of the LARP, when we had deep, these debriefing sessions, which I think is mostly, um, a Nordic style, um, ha like, I think that, that it mostly just happens in Nordic style LARPs. But anyway, so we had these debriefing sessions and we had to break up into groups and we each had to talk about what something that was really hard for us over this past weekend. Um, and, at the time, I felt really, you know, satisfied and I had had a good time. So I was just in a really good mood. And I was like, what am I going to, you know, what am I going to say? I just, I had a lot of fun. But then um, one of the girls that we, I was sitting with, you know, she raised her hand and said, okay, I'll, I'll go. And then she started crying and said, you know, I actually have a lot of issues with um, socializing and I get really, you know, shy. And I felt, my, felt myself falling into those patterns during this weekend. Um, but then, you know, I skipped some classes, called my boyfriend, cried it out. And then I ended up going to class and, uh, started meeting people. And then I, it felt like that changed. And then really the, another really striking thing that happened right after that was then the guy sitting next to me said, you know, yeah, I know what you mean about that. And he said that actually, uh, he had, his character had gotten involved in a seance where he was, um, he was trying to bring, they were trying to bring back a character's father from the dead to talk to that character. Um, and then the guy started crying and said, you know, I just lost my dad last year. And, uh, and I really felt like this gave me some closure. 
So that was sort of a two interesting situations where people had uh, in bleed, I guess, in a sense. And you were like, crying. Like but, everyone in the room, you said, was yeah, crying. We, well, uh, yeah, we all started. Like, I didn't expect to be crying at all. Like I went in and I'm like, we're just going to talk about how much fun we had. And then I just started crying with them. Um, and we had tissues all around. And it was just, you know, really unexpected. Um, but I really, that's like one of the moments that I treasure most, in a sense, from that experience. Um, and then... Uh, and then basically sort of, uh, right after, well, after that, you know, the next, that night we got back to New York I, with my friends, um, I experienced sort of a different kind of bleed because again, like I, in the debriefing, it was the other people's bleed that I was experiencing. But in this case, um, you know, I assumed that I'd just go back to normal life and everything would be back to how it was. And I'd be like, Oh, what a great experience. But then I, um, my friends and I got to Penn station and I noticed that the entire time that we were there, I just kept looking at everybody in the crowd and wondering like, and, and thinking, Oh, is that somebody from New World Magic School? Is that somebody from New World Magic School? And like, just kept looking for familiar faces that would very likely not be there. Um, and then at one point we actually heard someone screaming, uh, further away in Penn Station. And my first thought was, oh, is the plot about to start? <laughs> and, uh, and then I'm like, wait, I'm in Penn Station. I better get out of here, <laughs> you know? Um, but so that was interesting that like if we, if I saw somebody that looked upset, my first thought was to ask if the person was okay. And, you know, in normal life, you don't do that. But in, the LARP world, like everything, you know, everybody around you matters. And, you know, you come across someone and you, you want to talk to them, like you want to ask them how they're doing. Um, so that was an interesting bleed experience that I didn't, didn't expect at all. Yeah. Now that's so interesting. And, and, um, uh, books, I was listening to an interview with you early, er, earlier today, and you were talking about an experience you had where you were playing a villain and it ended up just being this devastating emotional experience. Yeah, that was, uh, that was when I was a player at Magiscola last summer. And I was, I had played a lot of villains before. I hadn't, you know, really thought this would be much different. But in this case, uh, I was used to playing villains in fairly short LARPs, no more than, you know, three or four hours. And playing this very villainous character, uh, who is a very bigoted character, uh, specifically against, uh, lycanthropes, kind of werewolves, uh, for a full weekend like that, the character became very emotionally complex and uh, I was sort of forced to humanize this character because I was inhabiting them for so long and really figure out where did they come from? Why are they like this? What is their sense of humor? What do they eat? Uh, and they had friends, it turned out. I improvised this very intense friendship with another player that we had never met before the game. We didn't plan any kind of backstory. We just met during the first dinner and said, you know, hey, out of game, we went to the same wizard high school. You want to have been best friends in high school? Sure. Okay, great. And then it just got more and more intense. And finally, by the end, this villain had been arrested and expelled from school. And I went to the ball in chains, chained up. Hmm. Uh, it was a great moment. It was a lot of fun. There are photos figured, of this, apparently, of you in chains. Yes, there, there are. Uh, there are pictures of me in a full tuxedo and bow tie right in my ball outfit and chained up. Hmm. Uh, and I, you know, most of the, mostly it was people just coming up to me and, you know, basically, basically spitting on my shoes. And it was great for them to sort of have these moments of, yeah, I stood up to the, to the asshole. Uh, I stood up for what I believe in. And that was what I figured I was there for. 
And then my best friend came, the person playing my best friend. And I had this complete meltdown as I realized in character that I had really been doing it to protect him, that I had been terrified of losing him. And he came into that scene with the intention of sort of lashing out at me. And then suddenly he started to realize that he couldn't. And maybe there, maybe he couldn't forgive me, but maybe he had to understand me. And we both just started sobbing. I mean, just bawling. It was the hardest I've cried in years. Uh, and it was amazing. It was just some of my favorite role playing I've gotten to do in ages. It was deeply cathartic, a really beautiful moment. And then afterwards I've been taught and, and it was great. A bunch of people came and checked on me. Uh, gave sort of out of game check-ins to make sure I was okay and that, uh, I was, and it was great. I gave a big old thumbs up. I felt very supported, which was really nice. Uh, and then afterwards, ever since then, I've been talking that person who played my best friend in character. Uh, he and I have stayed very close friends out of character. Uh, luckily enough, he also happens to live in Boston near me. Uh, and we've stayed very close friends and we've been doing a lot of processing of the bleed we got from that because it hit very close to home for us of dealing with friends who have done awful things and how do you cope with that and how do we can we and should we forgive the people in our lives who have done terrible things uh and we're still not done processing it you know it's been almost a year since that larp and we still talk about it sometimes and we don't have easy answers but it's really made us reconsider and made us look at things and maybe we'll wind up settling on the same answers but it was a very uh, profound experience, I think, for both of us. And um, so there was a lot of bleed in both directions from that scene, but in what felt like a very healthy way. And I'm very grateful for the experience. Wow, that's just, I mean, Lucy, what do you think about these stories that books and Stephanie are telling here? Have you had experiences like that? Or what do you, how do you react to that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's very common to have intense experiences um, in LARP. Um, uh, one of the things people sometimes, I think the medium is, is inherently very powerful. And one of the things people, uh, joke about sometimes is that the medium is so powerful that, uh, it almost doesn't matter, uh, especially when you're a first timer. If you're in an obviously very well designed and conceived game like New World Magic Scola. Um, but a lot of people who got hooked on LARP, um, you know, got hooked, uh, in earlier days when we knew less about LARP organizing and they were playing LARPs that now we would, uh, now that they would consider like crappy games. <laughs> um, so I think there is something really inherently powerful about the medium. Um, I also think that, uh, there's something about the medium that is a powerful social hack that allows people to create community and create relationships, um, very quickly. Um, I, I've had a lot of different, uh, bleed experiences in games. Um, and I also play quite a lot with, I'd say the same loose group of maybe 30 or 50 people. And, uh, over the years, it's been really interesting because you have these intense moments with different members of your community. And slowly over time, the connections, um, build up into a web that's really pretty, pretty powerful. Um, I'd also say that books experience, um, playing a villain isn't, uh, isn't, it isn't too unusual. Uh, one of the things that people talk about, um, uh, coming from the, from the Nordic perspective 
is that the people who play villains often need more debriefing than the people who play victims. Um, and when I say the people who play villains, there have been some pretty um, hardcore uh, games um, played uh, in the Nordic countries. There's, there was a game called Capo, which took place in a, a Turkish prison camp, basically, um, where some of the inmates of this camp were bullying others and some of the prison guards were even um, torturing uh, others. And of course, it was all consensual within the realm of the game. But um, having done things that you find personally um, repugnant kind of gets you in touch with the darker side. And that can be very, um, that can be very unsettling for people. Well, I mean, you say, right, that if you're playing a character who's a total asshole, if the other players don't know you outside the game, they have they don't really know if you're really an asshole in real life or not. Right. And that's part of why the workshops and the debriefs are so important for creating, um, for creating uh, play that feels uh, safe and where everyone can feel seen. Right. If you meet me out of game and you learn that I'm a reasonable person, then when I'm screaming at you in game, uh, like there's a check on um, how much of myself is in my character. At the same time, me screaming at you in game requires me to get in touch with my inner uh, screamer. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that that can be quite um, that can be quite unsettling. I mean, the other thing I would say is that bleed uh, can hit people. It does. It, it can hit people at any level of play experience, and often it hits you in ways that surprise you. Um, so it's something that uh, you know you might be working out um, days or weeks after the after the game ends. Well, I mean, when you're talking about LARP as a social hack, I thought Stephanie, one of the most interesting lines in your essay is you said that you. You said, quote, I've never been somewhere so outwardly accepting of every identity as at New World Magiscola. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that um, that really struck me with New World Magiscola was that on our name tags, everybody had not only their character name and background or some somewhat background, but then also uh, your preferred pronouns. Um, and there was a real effort for everybody to make sure that they got the the preferred pronouns, not only for the person, because there was, it was sort of a two-sided, um, it was a two-sided sign where on one hand it was your, your own actual identity. And then on the other hand, it was your character's identity. So there could be people who were, you know, who identify as a woman in real life, but their character is a man and things like that. So it was, uh, you know, you, you had to separate, the character's identity from the person's identity as well. But either way, um, it was on display so that everybody knew and so that you didn't use the wrong pronouns or so that you could correct yourself or that somebody else could correct you if you use the wrong pronouns. Um, also, one thing, another thing that struck me was that um, throughout the whole campus, there were gender gender neutral bathrooms, which I've, you know, even though I'm living in New York City and everything, I've never... Um, I've never been somewhere that really has had gender neutral bathrooms and, you know, and this is all at a time when these things are being talked about. And, uh, you know, luckily at least in, you know, in certain parts of the country, like these things are very much accepted. And, uh, and so it just felt really amazing to be somewhere where, you know, where everybody could feel 
could feel accepted no matter who they were, no matter how they identified, and that the game, um, you know, that the the people who run who ran the game made that clear. I mean, books. Have you had that experience that the LARP community is a particularly accepting community? So I think yes and no, in that it is somewhat of a misnomer to say the LARP community, because there are many LARPs, and especially in America, there is not much of one coherent LARP community. There are many LARP communities that are extremely accepting. There are also many that are not. Uh, it varies based on just the same as how most of America varies in terms of acceptance. It varies regionally. It varies based on uh, urban versus rural. Uh, I am lucky in that the communities that I have played with, especially growing up uh, at the summer camp with the Wayfinder Experience and then working at Trackers Earth, uh, these summer camps have been extremely accepting, extremely supportive of many identities, uh, as is Magiscola, obviously. Uh, But I think it's... uh, it is very, it is highly variable. I think on the whole, LARP, at least in my experience and my view of it, LARP trends towards being more progressive than, certainly than average American society, but it is an unevenly distributed trend. Is there a way for a player to find out before they sign up for a LARP how accepting that game will be, do you think? Uh, I would say looking at the, hmm, I mean, asking the, uh, asking the organizers about things like if they have a code of conduct, uh, what their expectations are, but not necessarily. I think the best thing to do is ask someone who's been, ask a player, uh, for an inside view. Uh, obviously no one's going to be totally unbiased. Most people, if they're going to a LARP, they love their LARP and they want you to come to their LARP, but they're going to have an honest answer that you probably can't get from a website or Facebook or anything like that at least in my experience. Yeah. Um, so then, Lizzie, another term from your book I, I really wanted to ask you about is freaking the Mondays. Could you talk about that? <laughs> uh, sure. Um, this comes from what is now, I would say, somewhat dated terminology uh, that sort of posits the, uh, like the world of LARP against the mundane world. And the mundane world is populated by Mondays. Um, it, they're just like muggles, <laughs> right? Populated by Mondays. And, um, uh, some of the LARPers I encountered in the course of my research really enjoyed, uh, they kind of relished the difference, uh, of being a LARPer. So, uh, they would, I remember one group of them had planned a birthday party, a 21st birthday party in New York City where they were going to dress up in their medieval LARP costumes and get like a bunch of dollar coins um, and pay all of the bartenders in gold and ask them for, you know, tips on whether there was a dragon nearby (laughs) Hmm. and so on as a way of kind of uh, asserting their creativity and uh, and their difference. So that would be freaking the Mondays. Also, sometimes at conventions, you'll see um, code of conduct rules that say do not freak the Mondays. Hmm. Um, there, are, when you when whenever you're dealing with a synthetic reality like LARP, um, coming in contact with uh, the real reality, there can be misunderstandings. Um, you know, waving around a weapon that 
maybe looks realistic, but has no capacity to fire bullets, for example, you know, you could understand why you might not want to do that in a public place. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a way of talking about, um, the relationship between LARPers who are in character and regular people going about their business in the real world. Which is definitely a thing that happens. I mean, the very first LARP that I ever ran, we were using public woods and I will never forget this very sweet, uh, elderly woman was out for a hike and happened to stumble across a scene where some some demons had captured someone and had tied him to a tree and were torturing <laughs> him. And we were a bunch of teenagers, and th these were my friends. They were their first time ever LARPing, and they tried to explain to this woman what was happening without breaking character <laughs> as these demons, just trying to explain and justify why they were torturing this man and why it was totally fine. Uh, and she got more and more concerned until finally they did break character and tell her what was going on, and she didn't call the cops on us. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing a story about a LARP in Europe where they were in some kind of military uniform, maybe World War II military uniform, maybe even, dare I say, Nazi uniform, um, They in a place where that was maybe illegal, and the authorities showed up and they had to explain, like, no, we're not a fascist group. <laughs> we're playing, you know, we're playing a game. Um, often that's the job of the organizer on a LARP as you deal with any incursions from uh, from the outside. Well, I want to say, Lizzie, one of the sections of your book I just found the most fascinating was when you're talking about LARPers who are kind of in the closet where they don't want their friends or family or coworkers to find out that they're LARPers. Could you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I... Basically, there are certain cultures in the U.S. Um, and I'm sure elsewhere that look down on role playing. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that if you paint your chest blue and show up in a sports auditorium, auditorium, no, stadium, <laughs> you show up in a sports stadium, that's viewed as acceptable adult behavior, right? But um, there's a stereotype of the sort of the basement dwelling Cheetos eating socially awkward nerd um, that's at odds with various kinds of identities. Um, in my book, I profile two. I profile a police detective who desperately is keeping this hobby secret um, from their co-workers uh, because it, um, what this person told me was that uh, police officers really like to tease and prank each other and that people were getting... Um, you know, having getting the business for something like playing video games. So this person just knew that LARP would be very much not okay. And uh, I also profiled a um, a black man who talked about hiding his uh, identity as a LARPer um, doubly, both because it sort of wasn't acceptable in the realm of black masculinity that he operated within. Um, but also he had a very religious family and this kind of hewed back to the, there was the satanic panic of the eighties where everyone was really concerned that, um, you know, dungeons and dragons was being used to recruit children for Satan. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, but it, his family was very religious and viewed role playing as not a healthy or, or holy hobby. Um, so he was, uh, he was operating under the radar 
um, because it would have made his life too complicated. You also mentioned this person, Kristen, who said that she didn't want you to use her last name because she was afraid it might affect her academic career. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember her story. Uh, exactly. It's been a few years since that book was published, but yeah, some people didn't want me to use their, um, their last names just for Google ability. I mean, um, I know people who work in uh, government who try to avoid having their last names attached to LARP just to keep things simpler. I mean, Steph, you were saying that you had no problem telling people that you work with that you were going to the LARP. Yeah, I mean, I guess it it could just be where I work uh, since I work at JSTOR and it's an academic archive where like pretty much everybody that works there is some sort of creative type or academic type person um, who reads a lot and writes and writes. But um, so that that it's been, it was very uh, I was actually really surprised that um, everybody was really welcoming to it uh, to the point where I had met w- with one of my friends from work and mentioned to her like, hey, I'm going to this Harry Potter LARP. And she said, really? Send me info. And she ended up signing up and she got another coworker of ours to sign up. And then uh, we all went together and my boss knew about it and they asked us about it when we got back. And they were really everyone was really excited for us and telling us how cool it was and how they were like, oh, we should do that some at some point, you know, too. I want to do that, too. Um, so, yeah, and we, you know, we all took off work and went. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I've, I've also had very positive experiences. I've, also, I've often been, you know, concerned that people would judge me harshly. But to be honest, the vast majority of the time, the vast majority of the people I meet when I mention LARPing and say what it is, people go, that sounds awesome. I want to try that. I think that's probably somewhat self-selection just based on the circles that I travel in. But Yeah, I also think the stigma has vanished quite a lot since I published Leaving Mundania. Um, there's been this rise of the nerd. We've seen a big rise in Comic-Con. The average person on the street may probably knows what cosplay is, and certainly more, way more people than used to know what LARP is now know what LARP is. I think thanks in no small part to uh, productions like College of Wizardry and, and New World Metascola. Um, so as it becomes more known, the stigma is... Uh, is vanishing and the old stereotypes are being um, swept away. I mean, books, it sounds like you might be even more of a, um, like an advocate, what would you call it, like a, a proselytizer for LARP? Is that... <laughs> oh, I, I try not to proselytize too much, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I do firmly believe in uh, ABC, always be closing. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm definitely everyone I meet, you know, I think one of the things that I firmly believe is that there is a LARP out there for everyone. There's such a huge variety of kinds and styles of LARPs, from huge, what we call blockbuster-style events like Magiscola, to small living room parlor LARPs, uh, to everything in between. I think there is a LARP for everyone out there. There's something for everyone to find that they can really engage with. And I want people to find the thing that they're going to love. And a lot of the time, it's probably not going to be what I'm running. But I want them to find that and I want them to engage with it because it has been so rewarding for me and so many people I know. And I think people have so much that they can learn from the experience of LARPing that I want everyone to give it a shot. Uh, 
And I think part of that is is access. And I actually want to throw it over to Lizzie in a minute because Lizzie has just recently published like, the local LARP manifesto that I think is going to be, <laughs> I hope, catches on and I hope <laughs> makes LARP more accessible for people to find the LARPs that are right for them. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> do you want to do, can you say a little bit about what it is? Cause I don't want to yeah. talk about your thing, but I'm really excited about it and I want it to happen. Sure. So, um, we got together a bunch of people who are involved in building, uh, local LARP communities and they come from all over the world. Uh, I think the furthest flunk, we had some people involved in local communities in Oslo, um, as well as Ramallah. And then uh, all over the U.S. Um, but the local LARP manifesto is basically kind of planting the flag for uh, cheap, um, accessible local LARP events that don't take a lot of time um, and that are therefore uh, easy to attend for people who might not have a lot of money or might not have a lot of time or might have children. Um uh, so it's, it's kind of an, I, I would call it an aspirational manifesto. Um, I'm involved in, uh, you know, I've been involved in several local scenes over the years. And I think the local LARP manifesto captures what we were aiming at, um, but not necessarily what we were able to achieve. But we would like for, um, we would like for people to be able to, um, come and LARP much the same way that they would uh, go to a movie on a Friday night, right? Maybe you've been looking forward to the movie all week or all month, uh, or maybe you just bought your tickets on a whim. Um, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to have a very reasonable cost and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'd say we kind of patterned ourselves after um, the, or we were, I was very inspired by the uh, LARP factory, um, groups in Norway, uh, which were small, uh, autonomous groups that committed to putting on, um, one LARP a month. And, uh, there were a, a lot of, um, great, great LARPs kind of were written and produced for that scene. Well, let's see, in the, in your book, you talk a lot about the difference between American LARPs and these Nordic LARPs. You say, uh, if stateside LARP is Lord of the Rings, Nancy Drew, and Star Wars, the Nordic LARP is Mrs. Dalloway, 120 Days of Sodom, and Schindler's List. Is that still the case, that there's that kind of division? No, I would say there's been quite a lot of co-mingling um, among the scenes. One thing that's happened in the last five years is that the um, the indie tabletop scene has gotten more and more interested in LARP. And they've brought their um, <laughs> sad things on index cards. <laughs> uh, as they sometimes joke to, to the LARP style, uh, or to the LARP format. Um, and there's been a lot of, uh, communication and exchange between, uh, the U.S. and the Nordic countries and other places. Um, right now there is a, uh, like an Italian LARP a collection that I think just closed on Kickstarter, but some of the games in that collection were written by Americans. Um, uh, so I've been involved in, uh, in some of that scene and in, um, in some of the collaboration and cultural exchange that's been happening. And, uh, we actually have quite a lot of, um, sad depresso LARP, uh, happening <laughs> here now, uh, as well. Um, you can look to some of the Golden Cobra games. Um, but there have also been quite a lot of, uh, American indie writers sending things to Festival which is a Danish uh, convention that's got a kind of a Sundance format. 
So you pitch your game and every year they take 30 games. And these games are usually for three to five people and they last either two hours or four hours. That's sort of the prototypical format. And um, every year, uh, some of them are given auto awards. Um, and so there have been a lot of people sending, sending, uh, sending games in the other direction, um, including uh, Moira Turkington, who's been sending a bunch of games about um, women, uh, women who contributed to the World War II war effort. Um, I, I've, I sent a, a pretty depressing game about breast cancer. Um, and there have been a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of games on serious topics. Um, but we're, you know, we're not just trying to play on the Nordic field. I think the U.S. and Canadian designers are taking, um, those techniques and remixing them, um, according to our own LARP culture and our own aesthetics. Um, and one of the names for that, a, a very contested name for that style of game, uh, is American Freeform. Uh, I don't think that term will stick. Um, but, uh, but there has been a real moment of, um, of fusion over here. And I think we, we've got some really cool stuff coming our way. I also think it's worth noting that all of these terms are probably contested somewhere. Uh, and that division sort of, or lack of division is now going back and forth both ways in that we talk a lot about Nordic LARP and the Nordic LARP scenes, but just as there are many American communities, there is much within the Nordic world and, uh, especially to Americans, seeing these sort of much more emotionally intense, much more, uh, serious Nordic LARPs was so shocking and thought provoking that I think to a lot of American players, that's what they think of when they hear the word Nordic LARP. But I also think it's important to remember that there's also a lot of Nordic high fantasy campaigns uh, and plenty of running around in the woods with swords fighting orcs uh, yeah. and just also crying about it while they're doing it. Uh, <laughs> and that that's just as as Nordic. Uh, and so I think that that is another part of the division breaking down is realizing that the Nordic world is also just as wide as the American world is widening. I mean, it does sound like in those countries that LARPing gets a level of support that it doesn't get here. I mean, you That's talk, true. there's like people can be in governments and be LARPers and there, there I've seen um, headlines about this school where every class is a LARP or something like that. Yeah. Osterkopf after school. It's an yeah. amazing program. That's yeah. Just so cool. And something that really at the moment could really only happen in Denmark. Yeah, the Nordic countries also have quite a lot of cultural funding. So it's the kind of thing where if you're five people or 10 people or however many, you can get funding from the government for whatever the cool cultural thing you're doing is. So, um, so you, you get money to do stuff. Um, and that's a level of institutional support that's been really crucial. You know, the, um, the Nordics are always saying, can't you apply for some funding to like bring me over, you know, from your cultural organizations? And it's like, no, we don't have that. Um, that's also supported the rise of, uh, this more blockbuster LARP style, you know, games with a higher ticket cost. Actually, often the, it, the true cost of the game is hidden because there's foundational support that's lowered the, pr the ticket price for everybody. And I, yeah, and I think that's also supported uh, LARP 
criticism and the movement towards LARP being taken seriously as an art form, because when you have that kind of institutional support and you can have a lot more people engaging in it seriously and dedicating more time to it and being able to make, frankly, more money off of it and support themselves while doing it, it allows the form to grow much more and much faster as an artistic medium uh, and get these conversations going in a way that they are only just starting to in America. Whereas, you know, in Europe, uh, the Nutpunkt conference has now been going on for 20 years of talking theory and practice and technique. Uh, which is very much supported by those government grants and things like that. Speaking of Nordic LARP, this year at uh, Knutpunkt, Jakob Svenros, one of the scions of uh, Nordic LARP theory, declared the term Nordic LARP dead, in fact. And uh, good riddance uh, to it. Thank God. Yeah. Thank you, Jakob. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> perhaps we can start to have better terminology. Yeah, it's a confusing term because it sounds like a geographical term, but it's it's really not, not. maybe no. it's 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 it refers to this particular style and he had previously come up with the definition which is basically a nordic larp is something that engages with and contributes to the discourse of nordic larps <laughs> i forgot about uh, that definition yeah and it, i thought it was a pretty good definition he unpacked it over his you know 45 minute keynote like 4 years ago or something like that um but I, I think he declared it dead. Uh, I think he declared it dead. I'll feel really bad if I, if I'm misremembering. No, I, think I was right. sleep I think deprived right. I think I at the, the time. Yeah. Okay, well, so Stephanie, I want to get you back in here because I want to ask you about one experience you write about in your article, which was uh, going to the dance at the okay. end of the LARP. Uh, tell us about that experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, books mentioned a little bit. So there was a ball at the end of, uh, at the end of every run of Magiscola. And, uh, one of the requirements, uh, for your character, for everyone's character is to get a date to the ball, which, um, I think led to, you know, some people, uh, doing some funny things <laughs> about that. Um, like in my case, uh, my friends had dared me to ask a uh, professor to the ball, but I ended up not doing it. Um, <laughs> I got too scared. But uh, but then my date ended up being um, another first year named Virgil Romero. Um, and he came along with his pet dragon, Draven, who was also dressed up for the ball. And, it's uh, like a stuffed dragon. It, it, sorry, it, yes, it was a stuffed dragon puppet that he had on his hand, and he put a little bow tie on him um, for the ball. And uh, what? So we all had to, you know, when we started the when the ball started, everybody had to do a mandatory uh, waltz, and so we were waltzing together with this dragon puppet on my shoulder. Um, and uh, you know, I was I was friendly with this guy, but I hadn't met him before, so we were, you know, we were dance partners but then you know throughout the whole dance he was talking to his friends and dancing with other people and i was dancing with other people so um i wouldn't say our characters had much of a romance necessarily but there was definitely a lot of that talk and that um interest like among all of my friends even though all of us were in long-term relationships like we thought oh this, wouldn't it be fun if like our characters you know, uh, find romance. And so we were sometimes just like looking for it. Um, you know, even though this was just, yeah, this was just as characters. Um, and, uh, I remember I didn't write about this in the article, but one of my friends that I went with, um, she 
got started getting desperate toward the end of the toward the end of the run because she uh, didn't have a, da- a date to the dance, and so she decided that she wanted to ask the, the one of the most crazy characters that was in our run and so at one point we were just like you know we we were doing the whole you know oh my friend is interested in you are you interested in her um it turned out he already had a date but then he said that he would dance with her at one point too so she ended up just going with a group of people um but it was nerve-wracking it was like being back in (laughs) you know freshman year of college where you go and you're like oh who are all these people that uh you know the potential potential romances or middle school even, you know. Well, well so what I want to ask you is, is that just all good queen fun, playing a character who's having romances with people who are not your significant other? Or do you think that's a, a fraught situation in any way? I think it can go either way. I think it depends on the person. Like, you know, in my in my case, I was totally interested in just flirting with people and getting a date to the dance and stuff, but I would have never cheated on you. Um <laughs> We talked about this beforehand. Um, the other thing is that you uh, you could – there were stickers that you could have on your name tag so that you could indicate whether your character was interested in romance, whether you were closed off from it, or I think there was a middle one where it was – I can't remember exactly, but I think there was another um, indication – but uh but basically yeah like i think it depend i think it really depends and and there's a lot of people in the larp community who um are in open relationships and things like that too so uh you know that i think can lead to crossing crossing those lines because they're you know more allowed to than say somebody in a in a monogamous relationship um but in my experience you know it was it was mostly good clean fun with some like flirtation and some heartbreak you know one of my friends like i said you know she she was kind of heartbroken that this guy already had a date to the dance even though she's married and like has a husband that she loves but she was just you know felt like getting rejected so so these cards it said whether your character was open to romance but it didn't say anything about your real life um, inclinations. No, or... I guess not. I mean, I guess because you could have, you could be, for example, single in real life and also not be interested in, um, in romance in the, you know, in this world. So, um, I, I don't know. So that like most of my friends, we, yeah, didn't, you know, nothing ever crossed any lines, but, um, but we heard rumors <laughs> that there were some <laughs> things that happened. So. Was there a makeout mechanic or a sex mechanic? There weren't any mechanics. So that was the other thing is because it was WYSIWYG, right? So they, they didn't really talk about any, you know, none of the rules said anything about, um, mechanics, but, uh, that might have been somewhat helpful maybe because in this case, it was really just who are you going to the dance with and, um, who are you flirting with? But that, you know, there was no other way to signify you were in a relationship with someone. What, what would be an example, Lizzie, of a making out mechanic? Um, there are tons of them, uh, but one, uh, that comes from the LARP Play the Cards, which is a LARP about awkward, uh, teen romance at a brutal, uh, birthday party. Um, it is basically making out is touching your partner's face. And it's a kind of nice mechanic because of course you can be gentle and easy with your hands if your character is suave. You can also kind of poke people in their cheeks, um, which can be quite awkward. Um, th- there are, I mean, there are tons of ways of uh, mimicking romance. In the um, in the 
uh, LARP I just came back from, Fortune and Felicity, which was a Jane Austen LARP for 130 players, I think. Um, there were, there was like a romance mechanic, but also a sex mechanic. So the romance mechanic, or it, there was a proposal mechanic, which was that in order to propose, a gentleman had to, uh, give a lady flowers, um, read a poem to her, and poems in game were also, a uh, monologue mechanics. So you'd read like part of a poem and then say what you really thought and then end with a poem and uh, get down on one knee and make a little speech to the lady. Um, there was also a sex mechanic in the game because this game was about a pretty restrictive, uh, a world uh, of restrictive genders and restrictive morals. So the sex mechanic there was that you held hands with your partner. Um, it had three phases. So uh, before you um, made out, you would, or before you had sex, you would say, exchange like a one word, a series of one word volleys about how your character was feeling. Then you would put your right cheek to your partner's right cheek, and you would exchange a series of one word volleys that was about how your character felt during the act. And then you would separate and uh, while still holding hands and exchange a series of one word volleys about um, what the uh, what the consequences for your characters for your character might be. Um, there are other mechanics too. There's the Arzamandi mechanic, which uses, um, the touching of hands and arms to represent romance. Uh, Gavin White has a brilliant, uh, new game out called Yes and No, which relies on cards. You get a card with a body with a random scattering of letters over it. And then you also get a card with, um, the letter your body, you, you your character is interested in, and then you have a negotiation. So, uh, so I might say, and it has a, the, uh, the card with a letter on it also has a nonsense word. So I might say, you know, like, hi, I'm really interested in starting your R. And then you could say, look at your body card and say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have an R. Or, uh, you know, my R isn't in the same place as other people's R's. Maybe you could show me where your R is and like, we could talk about that. It's such a um, great game. I love it. It's a, it's a great game. Um, and many, many more. Um, uh, sex has been represented. I think in Russia, one of the ways of doing it is, um, to hide a safety pin on your clothing and, uh, your partner has to find where the safety pin is. Hmm. So, you know, if you're not feeling bold, you can put it in a really obvious place. And if you are feeling bold, maybe like you put it on your boob. Um, <laughs> Uh, or there was one. another one of squatting your partner. Like this was a, a heteronormative uh, sex mechanic where the women sat on the men's shoulders and the men could squat them. And how many squats they were able to do was like how good the sex was. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, hair brushing, uh, feeding each other fruit. Um, there are like there are a lot of there are a lot of makeout mechanics. Um, even something as, um, as non-physical as drawing, playing cards to decide how good your romp was or, uh, holding, uh, linking pinkies and holding them up in the air so that people could say, see that you're making out or just going to, um, out of sight area and making, uh, noises. <laughs> uh, I mean, books, is there anything you want to add about, uh, romance among characters? 
Uh, so I just personally, I've always loved playing romantic plots, uh, which I don't often get to do because most of my LARPing has been running LARPs for kids and teenagers, in which case my own character isn't that relevant. And so I'm usually not doing as much. Uh, but so when I get to play with adults, it's a lot of fun. And that's something that's always amused me is because in my real life, I am totally aromantic. I have no interest in romance in my real life. It stresses me out. I avoid it like a plague. Uh, but in LARPs, I love it. I find it so fascinating and such a great source of drama. I love romantic entanglements. I love messy romantic situations. Um, it's just so interesting and so much fun for me to play with. Uh, and I find that my own impulse towards that really interesting. And I think because it's something that's so alien to my real experience, because I don't experience it in my real life, uh, that I, I love getting to seek it out and getting to play with something that I don't normally do. I guess I wanted to ask you this earlier, but it, I, I didn't get a chance, but it's coming up now again, is that could you think of examples of people really benefiting from LARPs or, um, you know, just the, their involvement in the LARP having a really positive impact on their lives. Oh, I mean, more, more than I have, more than I could possibly express in a six hour podcast. <laughs> uh, I've been doing this for a long time. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of kids and teens over the years. And time after time, I have seen kids, uh, and teens and myself and adults use LARP as a tool to explore themselves, but also to learn things about themselves to discover what they are capable of. Uh, a kid, for instance, who had very intense anger management issues found ways that in character he could express those frustrations through playing an angry character who came from a culture that expressed their anger uh, through challenging people to fights and then fighting with them and turning the fight into a celebration uh, of sort of martial prowess. Uh, and he channeled that. And then from talking to his parent later, sort of brought that atmosphere into his daily life of taking a step back from that anger and acknowledging the direct source of it in the same way that this character had been like, yeah, I got to challenge someone to a duel when I'm mad. And really thinking through and then turning it into that celebration of acknowledging that anger and that anger that he was feeling came from passion. It came from him really caring about things and really, really being passionate about those things, and that gave him the coping mechanisms. And I mean, this this was a nine-year-old kid, uh, and giving him those coping mechanisms that he could then use in his daily life to productively channel his anger into safe ways to express it. Uh, and that really changed his life. And I worked with that kid for many years. He kept coming back to camp and watching him develop uh, these this coping mechanism was really a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, and similarly, kids, for instance, kids who had trouble with, you know, uh, performance anxiety or very shy kids stepping up and taking the lead for the first time and, you know, uh, uh, presenting a gift to the queen of the fae and being the one who got to present this beautiful thing they had woven from, you know, from grass and flowers and standing up and actually saying that in front of the whole group because their character could do it. And then after game, going to them and saying, yeah, your character did this, but that was also you. And them realizing that they were able to do this. Uh, and then the bigger picture one, 
that I really learned and really benefited from ties back to right back where I started all of this is identity play and learning how to change uh, performances for different audiences. That so much of adult life is about LARPing. Is a, whether or not people realize it, when you take on a new job, you have to learn how to play that part. You have to learn how to act as that job. When you are in a new social situation, you need to learn what are the social rules? How do I process this? How do I navigate the social environment? And all of the skills that I learned LARPing, all of the things that I learned about how to put on a new identity, how to navigate a social environment, those are just as relevant in my daily life as an adult as they are when I was LARPing as, you know, a superhero or a werewolf or anything like that. Those skills are totally applicable. And I hear the same thing from so many people I know that the skills they learned LARPing help them navigate the social world. Yeah, that's so great. Um, okay. So Stephanie, one last thing I want to ask you is that you actually ran into someone we know, like randomly ran into someone we know at this uh, New World Magiscola, right? You want to talk about that? Was Grinsky? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, I, I knew that she was going to be there beforehand, but the reason I knew was because we were so, uh, I was at a book event, um, a few months before the LARP and I started talking to someone in a group and then just said, Oh, you know, I'm going to this Harry Potter LARP over the summer. And then from behind me, someone <laughs> goes, what you are? Who, wait, wait, I'm going too. And then it turned out it was Liz Gorinsky, who's an editor at Tor books. Um, and so it turned out that she was going to be there and she was actually going to be playing, um, an NPC character and she was playing a house ghost and it turned out to be my house ghost. What an NPC oh, sorry. A non-player character. Um, so it means that it's somebody who either paid a little, paid less money to get there or, um, is there on volunteer, on a volunteer basis. But basically they are people who are essentially on staff and can play different characters or magical creatures or things like that, that, um, you know, really help the, the players get immersed in the game. Um, so yes, yeah, so she was playing, uh, one of the house ghosts, the Maison Dubois house ghost, and that turned out to be my house. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so we actually got her involved in a plot with my character and everything. Um, but it turns out that Liz actually was really, has been involved. I mean, I mean, you, I think maybe even books and Lizzie probably know her, but we basically, sure do. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, exactly. I've worked with her frequently. <laughs> yeah, as have yeah. I. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that there, you know, that within our friend group, because you know, Dave and I are friends with a lot of science fiction and fantasy publishing professionals and writers, um, and I had no idea that there was this big crossover. But um, you know, it turns out that yeah, Liz goes to so many, and she actually told me about a LARP, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, or, or I don't know if you were going to talk about this already, but the, that there's a Nordic LARP where, uh, you play a rock and you literally just find out for hours what it's like to be a rock. Oh yeah. And... Still life. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, life. it's actually a golden cobra game. So it's a, it's oh. a, it's made by the Minneapolis LARP house. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty cool idea where the idea is that each rock has a philosophical question to ponder and some of the time you're on your own but there's someone who's playing the elemental forces who can move the rocks around and if you get put next to another rock you can talk to that rock and you know maybe you can hash out your philosophical feelings together uh 
it's really simple. It's really minimal. It's one of those ones you can run in your living room with five friends uh, at the drop of a hat. I've never played it myself, but I, I really want to. I'm curious. I've played it. It's super duper fun. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it sounds interesting. It sounded, it always stuck out to me when I had that conversation with her after that. It, you know, anytime that I talk to somebody about LARPs, I'll say, you know, you could even be playing a rock. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So, so uh, Books and Lizzie, have you met other fantasy and science fiction authors and publishing professionals through LARPing? Uh, not other than Liz that I can think of off the top of my head, but I sure have a bunch that I want to take to LARPs that I'm friends with through other social avenues. I recently met a Swedish author. I don't know. I don't want to, like, out her uh, as a lover, but uh, it was a great pleasure to meet her. And apparently she writes um, sci-fi fantasy books. I feel like I can think of one if I try, but I can't. She seemed awesome. Off my head. Uh, oh, I uh, actually, I know of some who used to be LARPers, which is uh, Molly Ostertag and Brennan Lee Mulligan, who are the creators of uh, the webcomic Strong Female Protagonist. Uh, and Molly is now the author of... Uh, uh, the Witch Boy, a new upcoming graphic novel from uh, Scholastic that just got announced. It got optioned by Fox for a movie, and I grew up LARPing with them at Wayfinder. Uh, Brennan was my first uh, LARPing teacher, taught me to LARP write, write LARPs when I was a teenager. I interviewed um, Jim Butcher once. Oh, yes. I think he has his own LARP chapter of some kind. I think it's, uh, yeah, and, and he's been LARPing with Nero for like 20 years. Out yeah. His niece is always trying to get me to come out to their LARPs out there. So it's a family that LARPs together. <laughs> they stay together. <laughs> oh, and yeah, yeah. No, that, that, I'm I'm cashed out on the on on authors. <laughs> well, so we're almost out of time in books. I did want to give you a chance to talk about Event Horizon. So tell us about that. Oh yeah, so Event Horizon uh, was my LARP that I just ran with. Uh, my friends uh, Quinn Milton and Sadia Bees, and uh, it was a big sci-fi sort of Star Wars inspired uh, with also plenty of heavy doses of other major sci-fi stuff thrown in there. Uh, LARP uh, that we ran near San Francisco in the Marin Headlands for about 100 people weekend long in the vein of, in sort of the model of things like Magiskola and College of Wizardry, a big destination game uh, in a bunch of old World War II bunkers and a fort uh, right at the cliffs uh, overlooking the ocean about uh, the first people trying to set up a new colony on a new planet uh, in the wake of an interplanetary war and trying to figure out if they could set aside their differences long enough to form a stable colony while exploring ancient ruins and deciphering ancient languages and solving strange mysteries. Uh, it I, from my from my perspective, it went phenomenally well. Our players are very excited for more runs. We are currently gearing up to announce uh, more runs for next year. We're going to do another game in the same location. Uh, it's looking like next April. We're very excited. Uh, and uh, continuing in the same universe, but probably set decades later. It's, again, very much in the model of things like Magiscola. We want it to be very accessible. We had a lot of new players at this. There's a lot of heavy workshopping before the game starts, a lot of emphasis on consent and emotional safety. Uh, this does have sword fighting, but it's very mechanics light. There's no numbers to memorize or anything like that. It's just if you get hit by a sword, you scream in pain because someone cut you with a sword. Uh, that's our combat mechanic. 
Now, I watched the trailer. It looked really like really amazing uh, production values. And I, I looked Thank at some you. of the photos as well of the um, the cube ob type object opening up and things. It looked, it looked really, really well done. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, when you raise $50,000 on Kickstarter and you throw most of that at your production budget, you wind up with some pretty cool props. Uh, <laughs> we were lucky enough to have an amazing builder, Angelo Taylor, who uh, is active in the Burning Man scene. So he's used to building sort of giant, weird, glowing yeah. things. <laughs> uh, and so he built us some really cool, giant, weird, glowing things. And we are very excited about even more giant, cool, weird, glowing things he's going to build for us next year. So speaking of next year, how would people, if people want to participate, how would they get more information about that? Uh, they can go to our website, eventhorizonlarp.com, uh, and follow us on Facebook. Uh, Event Horizon LARP is our Facebook. And we are going to and join the uh, Event Horizon Community Facebook group. And uh, probably in the next few weeks to month or two, we're going to start announcing our plans for 2018. Uh, we're pretty excited. Yeah, that's great. How about Lizzie? Do you have any? Are you looking for players for any uh, upcoming LARPs? Uh, not right now, but I do uh, have a re-release of a book I co-edited out. Um, it's called Hashtag Feminism, and it's a collection of 34 feminist nano games by participants from 11 different countries. Um, it's being uh, this. It's being republished by Pilgrim Press. Um, and we're getting ready to release six great new uh, nano LARPs um, about uh, feminism. <laughs> and of course, uh, I I am part of the. Um, I'm going to help with uh, Living Games 2018, which is a conference dedicated to discussing LARP of uh, this sort. It's going to be in late May. In Boston, I think they'll be announcing the um, the dates in the venue soon, and you can find out about that, I believe, at livinggamesconference.com. That's great. And then just again, are there other, um, if people are just looking for a LARP in their area, are there websites or things they should go to? I think um, that can be a little sticky. I'd actually recommend joining a Facebook group. Um, there's the North American Nordic LARP Exchange uh, LARP Sanctuary. Um, LARPers BFF. LARPers BFF. European-centric. Yeah. Um, and they could ask there. But it really would depend on what kind of LARP they're, uh, they're into. There might be a great local community um, near them. Mm -hmm. I do also want to show you, yeah, while we're in the shout-out stages, I do have these summer camps. And if you, if anyone knows, if anyone listening knows young people who they think might uh, enjoy LARPing. Uh, tickets are, are on sale. There are places still at all of my LARP camps. At uh, Magiscola Prep is the summer camp for kids and teens version of Magiscola. Uh, and that's magiscolaprep.com, and it's right outside Philadelphia, uh, last week of July. Uh, the Wayfinder Experience is in upstate New York and runs things throughout the summer. Uh, one-shot games, multiple one-shot games in a single week covering a wide variety of genres and styles. And in uh, Berkeley, California and Portland, Oregon, Trackers Earth does uh, post-apocalyptic high fantasy survival adventures. Uh, so if you know young people in any of those regions or are willing to travel to those regions, send your kids to LARP camp. It's a real good time. All right, great. So, how about uh, Stephanie? Final thought. What do you think about uh, what do you think about all this LARP stuff? Uh, well, my, in my my 
article that's coming out or that is out in Paste Magazine. <laughs> Sorry, currently it's it's while we're recording, it's not out. Um, I end with saying that um, my friends and I, you know, we gather into a group hug and we all look at each other and we just know that we're going to go to Poland at some point. So um, we're all talking about, you know, at some point taking on a bigger an even bigger LARP than New World Magiscola. Um, and so that's been pretty exciting to have that experience with my friends who I became even closer with because of this, because of going to school with them, magic school with them. <laughs> yeah, and say again the, the name of your article and where it will be appearing. Sure. Um, so the name of my article is Why I Spent My Summer Vacation Dressed Like Hermione Granger, and it's appearing in Paste Magazine. All right, great. So everyone go check that out. And I think we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Stephanie Grossman, Lizzie Stark, and Ben Books-Schwartz. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dave. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Stephanie Grossman, Lizzie Stark, and Ben Book-Schwartz for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for today's show, Ninth City Burning by J. Patrick Black. Learn more about the book over at jpatrickblack.com. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.